Hello. Welcome to Vet Club. It's another Vet Club. This is a discussion. We're going to talk about how to make a decision. How to make decisions. Well, not even how to make a decision, but I don't know. We're just going to talk about decision making, uh, clinical decision making specifically. And Topher's going to get comfortable. Wait, your feet are cold. He's getting a blanket that he knitted, actually. Um, okay, so yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this a while back. Um, as far as like, this is one of the things people struggle with is, I don't even know if it's that they struggle with making decisions. I think they struggle with making a decision and then sticking with it. I think people struggle with making decisions. You think that too? Yeah, yeah. because it's like, I can do one of these Four or two infinity. things. You can do one of infinity things. And what if one of them's wrong? Yeah. one which, of them, Which one's right? None of them. I don't know. I, I don't, that's the thing. Like, I, I think that's the, um, I think that's the hard transition from like being in school and in a classroom where there's one right answer and that's not yeah. medicine at it, all. Yeah. It's not Jeopardy. No. Like it's, it's, it's not when you're taking an exam where it's multiple choice or even if it's not multiple choice where it's like, choose the one best answer. Yeah. Well, that's not, we don't, that that's, it's, it's assuming a lot that we know what the one right answer is. I feel like what I say a lot on clinics is like, I don't know, like what's, what's there? I don't know. You want to do your thing. I want to do my thing. We have different, like, what are our reasons? But I don't know who's right. Yeah. I'm yeah, going to do what I think you make sure best. it's not like. A terrible decision. Yeah, like there, it's actually easier to identify things that are wrong than it is to identify things that are right in medicine. Like there are certain things you're like, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. Um, but it's really, really hard to say that is definitely the right thing to do because it's assuming like if we could know all of the things um, that would lead to making a decision, it might it might make it easier, although it might make it harder because it's too much, right? Yeah. But if that was the case, you wouldn't need we'd doctors. We'd have computers. Yeah. yeah. Like we, we don't have Siri what to do about your And then it gets compounded dog. even more in an emergency setting, which I honestly think makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, because all the patients, like the really it's bad like, patients are like suddenly, like the expectations are very high. Well, it's not even that, but it's just like you just have to make a decision and like you do the best you can and that, that that's all you can just do the best no you decision can. is automatically the wrong decision well yeah it's just i mean some of them still are but um you're you're by definition you're making decisions on limited information in a time crunch and um and so for me that's kind of like freeing in that like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to do the best I can. I don't have all the information. I don't have all, we never have all the information, but I don't even have all the information I would like to have that I would normally choose to have before making a decision like this. I'm just going to have to go with what I think makes the most sense or is most reasonable or rational in this situation. But if somebody else were to come along and make a different decision, as long as they can go through and be like, here's why I'm like, yeah, that's defensible. That's, that, that's fair. I think that's for me, <clears throat> the, um, like one of the keys is um like kind of get in my head like what am i pretty sure is the wrong decision like this this, so where this came from like why i wanted to have this um idea is we had a patient um this past week that um i got called back in to help with and it was a dog in respiratory distress 
so basically it had an acute onset of a neurologic episode, had a history of collapsing trachea, which we've talked about before on the show, which is where the trachea flattens and it makes it really hard to breathe air in or out, more out than in, but both. And, um, and so it got distressed because it had a back problem. Like it suddenly threw its back out, which I can, I can attest is stressful. Um, but um, so it was stressing out. They take it to their vet. It's stressing out more. Its temperature starts to rise because it's not panting effectively because it can't breathe well. So its temperature gets higher. Then it's more stressed. Then it's trying to pant and it can't do that. So it's more. And it was just this vicious cycle. So then it comes to us. And um, when it arrived, I wasn't there. But when it arrived, it was reportedly blue, cyanotic, like doing terribly. And normally when an animal comes in in respiratory distress and like you're like, they're fragile, I can't touch them, um, we give them a dose of butorphanol, which is absolutely like <clears throat> generally going to be the right thing to do. Yes, go for that. Um, but it's it's a, butorphanol is a sedative. It's a mixed opioid agonist antagonist and it gives you a light sedation, which is why we tend to use it in respiratory distress patients. It's pretty safe on the, on the heart, like cardiovascular system. It's like really not going to do a whole lot too. And, um, but it takes the edge off. It tries to break that cycle of, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. I'm panicking. Um, but it's not a powerful sedative. It's not going to knock them out. And so the team had given this dog some butorphanol and it didn't really make a difference. And so then they gave another dose of butorphanol and it didn't really make a difference. Um, and so I came in and I was like, wow, this dog is super duper stressed <laughs> and it's not responding to this normal thing. And, um, and so we have another drug called acepromazine, which is generally a more powerful sedative, but it has more adverse effects as things often go, right? Like we don't have perfect drugs that will do all the things we want all the time with perfect safety. And um, one of the other doctors was like kind of nervous about giving acepromazine because they're like, you know, we don't know about the dog's heart. We don't know this. And I go, I don't either. But I know if I don't do something, this dog is going to die. <laughs> right. And so um, I give it some acepromazine. Uh, and to be fair, I also gave it some ketamine, but I'm confident the acepromazine was what made the difference. And the dog immediately like calms down and like stops freaking out, stops panting excessively, sedate. We can cool it off the rest of the way. And then within about 10 minutes, like it's it's doing way better. Um and so that, that was the whole thing was, this is like a smart clinician who like knows the right things, but was just like, not, not paralyzed, but kind of like afraid to give this other drug. Like, you know, they even said like, I thought about giving that drug, but like, I was afraid to, because, you know, it's an older dog. Like, I don't, maybe it had a heart murmur. I don't even remember. I don't, I, I didn't care <laughs> if it had a heart murmur or not. I was like, what I know is if we keep doing what we're doing, it's not going, this isn't going to work. Plan A has not worked. Plan B has not worked. Um, so like, I just got to make a decision because doing nothing is, is going to lead, like I'm pretty confident on the outcome for this dog of doing nothing, which everyone else seemed to be confident. Like this is why they asked for help, right? Like this dog is doing terribly. We need help. And the other options were knock it out completely and intubate it. The reason I was trying to avoid that is dogs. And this is some of this is experience, right? Dogs with collapsing trachea that you put an endotracheal tube in when you go, like they love it when they have the tube in and then when you take it away, they're like, I hate this. And then it's really, it's really hard to break that cycle again. So I was trying really hard not to intubate the dog. And, and again, this other doctor was the same thing was like, I, yeah, I also didn't want to do that, but they were just nervous about using another drug that would have adverse effects. And it does. And actually the, the dog did get tachycardic, like its heart rate went up and I was like, whatever, that's not going to kill it right yeah. now. <laughs> like that is a side effect I'm willing to, to tolerate right now. And again, so I came in, that's literally all I did. We gave it some acepromazine and then it calmed down. It went in an oxygen cage overnight and like it did well for the whole night, <laughs> like breathing wise, it still had neurologic issues. Um, it had, you know, tetrapretic, but, um, 
so, but again, I was just sort of thinking like, why, you know, some of it's experience. Some of it is that I've seen a lot of cases. Yeah. As you, decisions should get easier as you do more. But I didn't know what was going to happen for sure. Right. Like there was, but there's, there's also a part of it is experience, but part of it is also just understanding like not doing something is making a decision, right? Like uh, refusing to do something is a decision you have made. Not making a decision is it in and of itself a decision. Existentialism. Ooh, right? But like if you do nothing, that's a choice that you've made. Yeah. And choosing, it, it just feels it's a passive choice. And so sometimes people feel like, okay, well, you know, I was like, but you're there. Like you're standing there. You're the doctor. Like you, doing nothing, is, you know, is just as bad as doing the wrong thing if doing nothing is the wrong thing. Um. And so part of it is my personality, I think, is I would rather, I would rather, so this is the analogy I always use. It's like, I, I want to go down swinging. So in softball, like I don't want to strike out looking at a strike. God, that's the worst. That's the worst kind of strikeout. Mm-hmm. If I swing and miss, like at least I tried, you know, now, you know, sometimes it's the umpire's fault because they call something a strike that should have been a ball, whatever. <laughs> but even then. <laughs> and that happens in real life too. It totally this does. This dog should have survived. Exactly. It does happen in real life where like, you're like, bang, you know, this, this isn't how it was supposed to go. Um, so sometimes you're just, your judgment's going to be wrong. Um, but I would rather, again, I would rather try. Now, try with reason. With re- Again, I was going to say, but like, that doesn't. So then I started thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, you just got to try something. And then I was like, wait a minute, that actually gets people into trouble too. Um, it, and so I was started thinking about like the random, you know, cat that comes in with lower urinary tract signs. I was like, well, I got to do something because you know it's got these lower urinary tracts. I better give it antibiotics. Like, no. <laughs> That's actually one of the times that's not what you should do. You should actually, you should do nothing instead of doing something. And so then I started getting myself into this like, well, how do we know mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's the time when you should like just make a decision and try something even though there, there could be adverse effects? And when is it, no, don't don't just like throw anything at the animal. Like take a minute, think about this. Um, and really what it comes down to, like is it going to die in the next few minutes? <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, and so for me, that's where the emergency thing comes in. And uh, and so I was like, God, that's really that like, like that's a really crummy thing for me to be like, well, when it's appropriate, like just try something and see what yeah. happens. And when it's not appropriate, don't do that. <laughs> so I, I was struggling to think, like, how do I differentiate that in in my mind? And it's easy for me to be like, well, when it's dying, <laughs> I was like, how do you know? Yeah, I think um, was I'm when I do warehouse work for like glows and stuff, mm-hmm. the like organizing things is usually the problem that needs to be fixed. Like uh, an example we had is there's a holding area that has all the appliances. Okay. All the appliances are in boxes back there and they're just wherever. Okay. Um, But the delivery people need to know where they are so they can get them real quick or like during the day, occasionally someone gets one. So like they're all jumbled up and mixed up and to like sort them back to where people would be able to find stuff. You have to take everything out and put everything back in. I can understand why. But there's not enough that. room to do that. And that's mm. going to take days. I remember one time they were they were going to fix this and they were planning on the appliance manager and someone else being there for three days to do it. Oh my gosh. And then it was like the week before I had a day where we didn't have a truck. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And so like I thought of the problem. What's the problem? Everything's mixed up. What's the most mixed up? Like I identified like these like ovens need to go here. That's the easiest thing to fix. So I just 
pull out an oven and then like there's a dishwasher get rid of that and then put an oven there and then it's like just slowly yeah just slow (laughs) yeah just kind of like what's the biggest problem and then do something that'll help that and then you just keep going a step at a time so like with your stuff with the case like what's the biggest problem with this dog it can't breathe so Mm -hmm. how can we help it breathe a little bit and then you do that. Now, what's the biggest problem? All right. I wasn't sure where you were going with this analogy. I'm yeah, glad you, I didn't I'm explain glad you brought it, it back. Well. No, 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 you did. You just you brought it back there. No, I like that. That's a good thing. Like uh, in an emergency, I think I think that really applies well to an emergency. Like, yeah. what's the major thing? And and you're right. I say that same thing. Like, what's going to kill the dog right now? Yeah. What's like, the biggest? What's right down to one thing? Yes. Choose one thing and let's fix that, and not worry about the not not that you don't worry about the consequences, yeah. right? Like, well, you'll break cavalier. it down until you'll have like a couple different options. In. Yeah. You can choose the best of those. Like if yeah. you're trying to get the, I don't know, the temperature of the dog down, no, there's probably perfect. a couple different ways that you can do it with medication or cooling or. Yeah, no, but that, that's perfect. This is another thing that came up in the last week where this comes up all the time. So uh, we have this, you have a patient that's got heart disease. Um, and if it's in congestive heart failure, the treatment for congestive heart failure is dehydration. We give diuretics like furosemide is going to be the mainstay and you dry them out. You basically give them, give them diuretics until there's like less blood in their blood, less water in their blood and it's less work for the heart until you get them out of congestive heart failure. And everybody's like, oh, but if I give them too much diuretics, I'm going to dehydrate them. You're like, yep, that's the goal. Um, but I'm, what if I over dehydrate them and then like their kidneys get, you know, get dim- damaged? You're like, yeah, that can happen but they're dying of their heart failure right now. And then the flip side will happen where you have a patient who's like severely azotemic. So their kidneys kidneys are shot, kidney values are through the roof and you're giving them lots of fluids to try to rehydrate them because you think it's a pre-renal azotemia. Okay, great. And then it's like, they're really, really dehydrated and it's really bad for the kidneys. It's like, but they have a heart murmur. It's like, yeah, but they're not in heart failure right now. Like just give them the fluids, fix this problem. And then if we over fix, then we'll be like, we'll go back. Like these are really easy Yeah, it'll change what the biggest problem is. Yeah, but so, but that happens in both directions. Like people, you know, you got an animal in congestive heart failure and people are afraid to be a aggressive with with diuretics like but I've given so much and what's going to happen to the kidneys I'm like it doesn't matter if the heart dies like it doesn't matter if you don't get them out of congestive heart failure it doesn't matter how, how healthy the kidneys are and then the flip side is also true like if if their kidneys are shot it doesn't matter if their heart's doing great because they're going to die from their kidney like so just like that that analogy where you're like just What's the problem in front of you? What's the major problem? Don't ignore the stoves, right? Like, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, like, yes, they're over here. Like, but the dishwashers aren't the primary problem. I'm going to keep an eye on them. I'm going to like, you know, try yeah, to all keep the dishwashers an eye on the, are on the top shelf. Yeah, great. Whatever that, you know, so I'm going to keep an eye on the kidneys if I'm trying to get them out of heart failure, but I'm not worrying about them right now. Like, I'm just going to pound them with Lasix until I get them out of heart failure. And then I'll go back and be like, how are those kidneys doing? Oh, okay. They got hit kind of hard. All right. Let's see if we can tinker just a little bit. Maybe I'm just going to move one or two dishwashers. To, yeah, to I think that back. this is this is actually what the how the, the thing was works. that analogy works because yeah. I remember I had it a few a while ago when you were talking about this. Um, it was that they wanted all the brands together for oh. each appliance too, and I was like, let's just no. get the types of appliances yeah. together, and then as I put them back, I can yeah. kind of yeah, it'll work we'll make out it perfect. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, they were yeah. stuck on like let's make everything perfect. That's the enemy of good. Yeah, right? and I was like, oh, I'll just get all like the like. 
the refrigerators yeah. and everything together. And and then lo and behold, it's always close. Well, and the thing that's funny is that, like you were saying, they're like, oh, well, we don't want to do this until we have three days that we can get everything perfect. And so you delay doing it, you delay doing it, right. you delay do- and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so it's like, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid that if I give them too much fluids, I'm going to push them into heart failure. So you delay treating the kidney disease, you delay rehydrating, you delay. And then the kidneys are meanwhile getting worse. Like things are getting more disorganized. Things are breaking. Like it's not working. So stop trying to make everything perfect. Just fix the main problem. And then you can go back and reorganize. Like you can, you can adjust your yeah. fluid therapy. You can get more precise and, and like very careful and like, okay, I overdid it. All right, easy. Like both of those problems are easy to fix. If I have a patient in renal failure and I give them too much fluid, I go, oh, they're, they're breathing a little fast. I just give them a little furosemide and I, I get it back. If they're in heart failure and I give them a little too much uh, furosemide and I'm like, oh, I overdid it on the hydration. Give them some darn water. Like it's easy to fix these problems. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're often very worried about getting it perfectly right the first time. Yeah, having the... Like, the first time be exact. The solution. That was when I was tutoring physics to people. They wanted an equation that they could put their things in and it would give them the solution instantly. And I was like, no. you can do that, but it's really hard. It's a yeah. lot easier to take like these One piece of the problem. five different like things that you know and apply it step by step. Yeah. It's so much easier to do that. Um, You just have to do it five times rather than have one catch-all for everything. But do it five times correctly and you know what you're doing. Like, that's probably better. Yeah, so I think maybe that's it, is like breaking the decisions down into smaller pieces. Or I, I think for me, though, a lot of it is just not being so afraid to do it. Like I'm, I'm afraid if I don't do it perfectly, everything's going to fall apart. And it's like, that's not actually how yeah. bodies work. Yeah. Most, I imagine most doctors know the wrong things to do. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like, Oh, if I give this patient this, it's going to die. Yeah. So just don't do that. Those do are rarely else. the mistakes that people make. Yeah. Those are rarely the mistakes where it's like a catastrophic, like this is contraindicated and everybody knows this is the wrong thing to do. Like people don't do that. Like that's pretty, pretty clear. Um, and there's so few of those anyway. Like even the things that people consider like terrible mistakes are usually not. Yeah. Honestly, when I hear about mistakes, it's usually, it's it was things. hard. Like yeah. it was a hard case and yeah. they didn't identify yeah. the correct thing and it was just, like they weren't going to be able to do that. Like, yep. You'd have to be a like incredible doctor who's seen who's this done before. this a bajillion times. And even then it might not go well. You have um, to be Bobby or Michael. <laughs> I think that's the other thing um, that people forget is you, you do get better with time. Right. And it's not, it's not that you, nest, you do know more, you start to know more, right. Cause you've seen more and you've learned more. Um, but you also have the confidence to just do the thing and not second guess yourself constantly. Um, one of the things that um, I, I really notice is a big difference between more experienced doctors and students and, and very like early, early career doctors is wanting to verify everything they've done with like some diagnostic test, um, wanting to check blood work all the time. Like I've done my physical exam and I see this, this is abnormal and everything else is normal. So I want to check every test I can think of to verify that all the things that I said were normal are actually normal. It's like, no, you don't have to do that. That's a very, nor- that's, it's a very usual thing. I understand the, yeah. the thought process yeah, it behind sense. it because you don't have the confidence to say, I want a number to tell me that I'm right. Well, it's um, also like the, just like from growing up, like people play video games and other games where you have all these stats and you know what's going on with everything. And that is absolutely all that matters. There's no, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no like, yeah, I think I won Monopoly because I feel good. Yeah. It's like, no, you know that you yeah. lost. 
but that's not how it is in medicine. And sometimes you just have to like listen to the patient. The patient's feeling good. Cool. Believe them. That's one of my big catchphrases lately is like, if a patient tells you how they're feeling, believe them. If they say they're feeling good, just trust that they are. If they say they feel like crap, you should believe them. (laughs) And so uh, if you have a patient that's in the hospital and it's getting better, you don't need to check all the diagnostic tests that confirm that that patient is in fact getting better because you already know that it is. Um, That doesn't mean you never check tests. Like sometimes it is nice to follow trends over time and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, yeah but know what you're looking for. Ex- yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So when you're running a diagnostic test, like one thing I try to say is you should already ex- know what you expect to find. Like I'm running this test and I'm expecting to find this. And sometimes you're going to get surprised, but most of the time you're not, um, you know, you're saying, Hey, I, I'm expecting this. Um, and I, you know, I want to confirm that once in a while, we want to confirm what we're expecting. Like, I guess there's a difference too between diagnostic tests that are done to make a diagnosis and diagnostic tests that are done for monitoring purposes. Um, and I think we overuse diagnostic tests for monitoring purposes, but also like just confirming, like trying to confirm the null hypothesis. <laughs> You're like, I believe that this animal is fine and I want to do a test to confirm that it's fine even though the test doesn't really do that. But like, I didn't find something I wasn't expecting to find. Like, well, no kidding. You weren't expecting to find it. Like this animal who's eating, drinking and doing fine. And you're going to sedate it. It's a two-year-old, you know, normal, healthy animal. And you want to sedate it to clean up its wound because it got in a fight with a fence and lost. And you're like, need to do full blood work. Like why? That dog was running around, like living its life. No problem before. You didn't, you didn't want to do blood work an hour ago when it wasn't injured. So what's the difference now? So what would you want to do? So say you had a patient that came in and you um, you thought it, ha- it was going to have a low value for some diagnostic test. You do the diagnostic test and you find that it's low. Mm-hmm. You do the appropriate treatment mm-hmm. and the dog starts to look fine. Do you then do another test to see that that number is improved? Yeah, that's a good question. And for me, usually the answer is no or not yet. Like, so an example, an animal comes in and it looks like it's anemic. Okay. And so it's red blood cell count is low. It's hematocrit is low. And I do the test to go, yep, it is in fact anemic. And then I go, ah, it's because you have parasites, right? Um, and so the animal looks kind of, you know, kind of crummy, but we give it some supportive care. We treat its parasites and it say it doesn't need a transfusion or maybe it does. I don't really care. Uh, so it doesn't need a transfusion or it does. I don't know. We give it a transfusion and it feels better. In fact, we're going to go with this route. We're going to go that it was anemic enough that it needed a transfusion, Uh, But I also found the problem. The problem was parasites, whether they're fleas or intestinal parasites. I don't know. I found parasites. I treat the parasites and I give it a transfusion. The animal looks tons better, feels great. Um, Standard, everybody wants to recheck a PCV to see that after I give the transfusion and the dog feels better, uh, its hematocrit went up. I was like, of course it went up. I just gave it a bunch of blood and it feels better. And you got rid of the problem. Yeah. And I treated the unlearned problem. So what does, but what number did it go to? Who cares? If it went from 12 to 14 or 12 to 22, it feels better. I'm not going to give it another transfusion. Well, but what if you're going to recheck it in a week? Well, in a week, it should be way better than that. It's like, who cares what the actual number is? And so do I need to recheck that? I don't know that I do. Do I ever need to recheck it? I'm not sure that I do. Um, does somebody need to? I'm not sure that they do. <laughs> so if I've treated the underlying problem and the animal goes home and continues to feel better, do I need to document in three weeks to prove that it's back to normal? If it's feeling good, I don't know that I do. What if it came in anemic okay. and you didn't know why and you gave it a blood transfusion? 
Yeah. So then again, I don't know that I need to recheck the values right now. I want to do the workup to try to figure out why it's anemic. So there's other tests that I might do. And some of those might end up giving me what, like I might do a complete blood count, um, which might kind of tell me what the new number is, but I'm not doing it to find out what the new number is. Then if the animal is clinically doing well, like say, is it doing well at this point? Yeah. Then I don't care what the number is. I'm just going to try to figure out why it was anemic in the first place so that I can figure out what the treatment is for the anemia. Now, a week from now, say I still haven't made a diagnosis, right? Yeah. Then I might check it and be like, well, what is that number? And I'm like, wow, it's better than it was. Huh. I don't know why it was anemic, but it seems to be getting better. Maybe I can stop looking, right? Sometimes I'll use that to tell me like, Uh, maybe it's one of those things that's going to get better without me ever knowing why. Or I go, yep, it's getting worse again. Let's invest more money into figuring out why. Um, Yeah, so that's the sort of thing, like instead of doing the test, you would say, keep an eye on the dog. Yeah. And it starts to get run down. I think we need to do more of that. Um, again, how quickly is it changing? There, there are certain situations where I I think it is, it is good to, um, anticipate problems. So, so here's another example. Okay. So I've got, um, a a blocked cat, a cat with a urethral obstruction and it comes in, it's really, really sick and it's potassium is crazy high. Um, and so in order to get the potassium down, well, first I stabilize it. I give it some fluids and I give it some calcium. So I'm going to give it calcium gluconate, which is going to reestablish the, uh, the threshold and resting membrane potentials in the heart and allow it to not die while I do other things to lower the potassium. And one of the things I'm going to do to lower potassium is I'm going to give insulin because insulin is going to drive potassium into cells. It's also going to drive glucose into cells. So I'm also going to give it some dextrose so that it doesn't become hypoglycemic. So the blood glucose doesn't fall too low. But I go, well, I gave it that insulin and I, I gave it some dextrose to make sure it doesn't get hypoglycemic, but I don't know. So in you know half an hour, I'm going to check the glucose again to make sure it's not too low. I'm anticipating because I think even though right now it might seem fine, there's a good chance it could get too low. So I'm going to check that before it becomes a life-threatening problem. So there are times when I'm, again, there's a specific problem that I'm anticipating and I want to check that. And that's a reasonable thing to do. But what is the specific thing I'm checking and what am I going to do differently? Yeah, like in the anemic dog question. that you give blood, you're not expecting it to lose blood again. And if it did lose blood again, it's going it to show look, me signs. Yeah, that's the thing. Dull. Yeah. So the thing is th- that, and I, that's the crux right there is what am I going to do differently? So if I'm checking this test in an animal that looks good, so I give a transfusion to a dog and it clinically looks better, it's eating and drinking, it's, its heart rate's better, all the things are better. I don't care what the number is. I'm not going to transfuse it again because it's improved. <laughs> you would probably just assume the number was wrong. If it came I, out. Exactly. Exactly. You'd be like, well, that doesn't make any We're sense. We're going to have to run this again. Yeah. And so like if, is the number going to change your behavior? And if the answer is no, then why are we running this test? Yeah. I think I remember you always say that with the monitoring. Yep. With the, the students like. The test question. <laughs> yeah. If the. If it doesn't have like a, if you're not going to change your opinion on it, don't even bother. If the result of this monitoring parameter isn't associated with some action, then you shouldn't do it. If there, if you, if the, the answer is, okay, cool. Keep watching. Right. Like, so if I, if I have a monitoring parameter and my, and the value falls outside of those parameters and you do nothing, that was a waste of everybody's time for you to even do the monitoring. Right. Like, so if the animal with a fever and you check its temperature and it's call parameters, if it's, it has a fever still, you're like, yeah, I know. Like, what, why are we doing that? Like, what, what the heck? What's, there needs to be an action associated with the, the, the test you're running, whether that's monitoring or whether that's a diagnostic test. How is this going to change your behavior? And if the answer is it will not, then don't do it. It's just going to lead to 
stress and frustration because sometimes you're going to get these weird things you're not going to know what to do with them or they're going to be spurious results they're false and now you're obligated to go do something about it it's like duh you blew it man People disagree with me on this and and probably vehemently so. Some people are like, this is terrible, Bobby. Um, And there's not hard and fast rules, but here's one of the things that people say a lot. Um, Like when they're going to run a test, they're going to run a full battery of tests. They're like, well, it can't hurt. And I'm like, yes, it can. I actually think it can hurt for a lot of reasons. You know, there's the individual patient and undergoing unnecessary tests. There's the cost to the client. And if you're spending money on unnecessary diagnostic tests, that's potentially money that now can't be spent on treatments or food or litter or a future vet visit, their own food. I don't know. There's also the resource, you know, utilization. Um, If you're submitting unnecessary tests, that's delaying somebody else from getting their results. Maybe theirs were necessary. Now you're gumming up the works. You're using up reagents. You're using up supplies. Um, You're using up people's time. And there is harm associated with that. That's There's also the... If you're looking for monsters, you're going to find them. Yeah. You're going to find something that's find something not even weird. a problem. Yeah. And then you're going to ignore things that are problems. Uh, <laughs> like at the end of the day, like go, a lot of this I got, um, you know, look, when I was in South Africa and money was tight, a lot of clients like couldn't afford to do all the things because I had fallen into that trap during my residency of like wanting to run every test all the time and needing every bit of data before I could make a decision. And um, I had to start relying on just like my knowledge, my hands, my eyes, like, you know, my brain. And, um, and I think, you know, overall I, I practice better medicine. That doesn't mean I don't use those tests. Like those tests can be really, really helpful. Um, but why, what specifically am I doing with this information? And, and it's trying to find that balance and I don't always get it right. I mean, there's definitely times when I probably should run tests that I don't. And other times when I run tests that I'm like, ah, oh, that was probably a waste. Um, you know, so it's back to getting, you know, decision-making. Yeah, like, that's why it's like, just don't make a terrible decision. Yeah. You can make a, like a bad decision every yeah. now and then. Yeah. Um, but, um, but try not to make the same ones over and over and over yeah. again. Um, and again, I think we fall into the trap also getting with the diagnostic test. Like treatments feels very scary, right? People are afraid, afraid to make decisions about treatments. Um, and so it's easy to say you need to have a good justification for prescribing this medication um, or for doing this procedure. But I think we should think about tests the same way. Like diagnostic tests, you should, what is your reasoning for doing this? How is this going to change your plan? How, how do you expect this to help the patient? How does this help the patient get back home? right? Every test I run, I'm thinking, how is this helping the patient get back home? And if it's not, then maybe I don't need to do it. Um, But one, it's going to help me make the diagnosis. It's going to help me understand how I need to adjust my treatment. It's going to help me understand if this patient is, you know, going to get better or not. Like all of those things I think can be helpful. So diagnostic tests, absolutely. Those results can help figure out how to get the patient home. But if, if you're, the test you're about to do, you can't, you know, draw a line back to getting that patient home. Maybe you don't need to do it. I don't know. That's my, that's my spiel. We got a little way from decision-making, but thing that people have trouble with the the decision-making, especially in like the ER stuff is, um, like the situation. Like, so, um, if you have one patient and you have to sit there and you make a decision about, I feel most people would be, would do better than if you had like Mm. one patient and three others that, like yeah. aren't urgent. That is hard. Yeah, that's a really good point. People do struggle I think with I that. Feel like a lot of the calls that you get at night, it's usually it's like it's like oh, there's one here that's not doing well, and there's like three others waiting. Where like you'll go in the next day, there's one that wasn't doing well, and three very nobody calls. Yeah, yeah. 
three that are on the way. That's my favorite. Is they're not even there yet? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people have trouble when there's that that there is extra and I pressure because they feel like they need to satisfy everybody. Well, and to be fair, sometimes the clients will be very insistent and very impatient. Um, and so some of it is learning to get over that and be like, you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, you know, and I, the vast majority, vast majority of our clients, especially on emergency, I think are actually very understanding and very patient. Um, yeah, I think it's that way with um, most like when I was working food service mm -hmm. and like something would screw up or it would, something would take too long or whatever. Most of the, most of the time you just had to ask the person, I was like, what can I, what can I do to make it better? And yeah. usually it'd say, Oh, nothing. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Well, and clients, you're like, Hey, we're really sorry. We know we thought we were going to get to you, but we had another one come in. It's going to be a little bit longer of a wait. If you give people updates, they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. And sometimes they go, you know what? This isn't that urgent. We can come back tomorrow. We had one of those this past week too, or the people were like, our cat's actually pretty stable. Is it okay if we come back tomorrow? Yeah. No guarantees that that'll be better, but yes. Um, and, uh, and most of the time people get it, but you get, it only takes one. Yeah, to like, and everybody remembers that one. They only remember that one. That's the one they remember. You know, you had 10 clients, nine of them were like super cool and one of them was like impatient and a jerk and that one for the whole month, right, that, that you remember and that's the one you're afraid of and so you're like, but these people are waiting. I'm like, yeah, B bummer. <laughs> that's too, <laughs> like, it does stink to go to ER and wait. I know, I've been there. Yeah, there's none annoying. of the ER shows, like, um, like Grey's Anatomy or mm -hmm. General Hospital and those where it's just a, an episode of someone sitting in the room for the entire hour. There should be. Maybe there is. We should look for that. It's just like waiting, getting pet. I think usually what happens in those shows is somebody sitting in the waiting room, waiting, 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 and then they die. And then they make it for dramatic effect. Like, see, it's because they sat in, like, yeah. don't, you're not listening to that. That's not a thing that happens in real life. You triage them, right? Right. Triage your patients right away. Um, and then when they're stable, believe that they're stable. If you need to re-triage them, which is actually a good idea if they've been waiting for a while, go like check the patient again, make sure everything's still okay. Um, but yeah, that's just how it has to be. And, and it, it is, it's very easy, um, to let, you know, those, those client, those waiting clients and the waiting patients get to you. Um, but you, again, you can only do one thing at a time uh, and, and all you can do is your best. So there are some tricks to, you know, improving your efficiency, right? Like get this, get that first patient stabilized and then like quickly get those other people in and out, like get them yeah. out, get them out, get them out. Well, and also to recognize but, that it's like, it's still the same, like the one that you're dealing with, it's still one. There's no difference. Yeah. Cause we would have that with, um, like sports when we're playing. It's like everybody can run the play when it's just the three people that are supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. But when you have seven people out there, yeah. like some people it's just like panic. What am I supposed to do? The doesn't same matter. thing we just did with it the three people. Yeah, just ignore different. those other four people. Or I yeah. guess it's, I guess now it's there's an X, there's 14 other people there. Yeah. But, if you got another team. Yeah. It's, but, but it's still the same. Yeah. There's no difference, but that's hard to do. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you do have to sort of clear the mechanism. That's my, <laughs> oh, do you remember what that movie is? Uh, I think Bruce Willis said it. Oh no, it was um no, it was not. It's the other Bruce Willis. <laughs> I didn't know there was more than one. Yeah, they're all Kevin the same. Costner. Yeah, Kevin Costner in the the one where he like cheats on his wife with his trainer. What? Right? No. He's the pitcher. He's the pitcher. He doesn't cheat on his wife with the trainer. I thought she like answers the door and his like massage therapist isn't. Well, one they're not married. Um, but yeah, no, gosh. Oh, you you didn't get that it's movie at all. It's a baseball movie. It's about the he pitches a perfect game. Yeah, who cares? Okay, now I'm blanking on the title of the the movie though. Uh, Pitch Perfect. No. 
Um, <laughs> those are those are similar movies. Um, okay, crud. What is? Oh, it's Kevin Costner and um, Kelly Preston, and he is a pitcher, and you've got John C. Riley as his catcher. And why can't I think of the name of the movie? All that's coming to my head. No, <laughs> um, it was not a Will Ferrell comedy buddy movie. I can't think of it's the name. It's not the, the natural. Movie. No, that's the movie that that's the title that I keep thinking of. That's Robert yeah. Redford. That was also a good baseball movie, but it's not the natural. It is like a one one word movie though, I think. Oh god, we're going to have to look this up. Where's your phone? Google this. My phone's upstairs. What? My phone's upstairs too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll maybe open the next show with the name. We'll remember later <laughs> on. Will we? The show's we're probably going to wrap it up here. Oh. Um so anyway, uh clear the mechanism. <laughs> which just means like don't let those other distractions um get to you like focus on the one yeah he's got one crowd he stops listening to the crowd the other people yelling at him all the other players doesn't doesn't matter it's not part of the play clear the mechanism yeah like none of that i have one job i'm gonna focus on this one job until this job is done and then boom the cheers come back the other players come back it's actually pretty good this is what people need to be trained to do they need to train yeah and that is kind of a good thing for like making it is just like take a breath Mm mm-hmm and just kind of like stop thinking about things because that's um we had that a ton when we were we were playing frisbee um like there are people who are amazing athletes they're way better than me but they can't play in like an actual game that counts like in a pickup game they're amazing they can do all these crazy things but an actual game that counts they just like freeze it's like you can jump higher than me you can run faster than me but how come i always beat you a hundred percent of the time in a real game it's because they're nervous and they're not, whereas like i've done it hundreds of times and it's like oh i just do this yeah. and it's also knowing what you're um what you're good at which i think a lot of professional athletes do like basketball yeah. players you think oh they can shoot from anywhere on the court and they're amazing they probably have like five spots that they just have to get to and there's an exact way that they get to it and they do these same yep the same like route and then they shoot it and they know exactly how to do that. They don't know how to do everything. Yeah. And that's why well, you know how better. to do it, but you're not very good at everything. You're really good at these handful yeah. of things. So do yeah. the things you're really good at. Like the street ballers and Harlem Globetrotters can do all mm-hmm. that stuff and shoot from anywhere. But they can't play in the game because they can't do five things yeah. amazingly. Yeah. So just know what you're amazing at. Yeah. And yeah, just try not to get distracted by all the other things. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I'll have to think on this a little bit more, like just the decision making. But um, yeah, maybe I probably should bring somebody else on and get their perspective too. Like, how do you yeah, make decisions? Yeah, because we're both pretty or, decisive people. Yeah, find somebody who struggles with this and be like, okay, so you know, what are you thinking about when you're trying to make these decisions? I've worked with people over the years and some of them want to get everyone's opinion. Um, and that can be paralyzing. I talked to this person and then I talked to this other person and they said different things. So I talked to a third person. They came up with a whole oh, yeah. new thing. Yeah, I hear that at like, work nope, all the time. Nope, it's nope, like, nope. Are we allowed to do this? Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, you and I are but both what if, ask uh, for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> what if we get in trouble for this? Like, why would we get in trouble yeah. for... Like, doing what we thought was the right thing yeah because that was always the thing that uh, someone would get an idea for like merchant we get a ton of some item in and it's like oh, i don't have enough room in top stock can i put it here where there's nothing i was like yeah the Sounds worst good. they can do is Just ask you to, to put it, it back the next day yeah it's like no one's gonna be mad at that. you for trying something yeah and no. i think it's the same in everywhere in medicine like if Absolutely. you tried some it, it's not a bonehead decision again right. which there are yeah. you after school you should know what the bonehead yeah. decisions are yeah um if you try and you had a reason, no one's going to be 
Mm-mm. No one's going to be prolonged mad. Like yeah. in the moment, if their animal died, they might be mad. But then within a week, they'll be like, yeah, well, the, even then they thanks usually, for trying. They usually understand, you know? Yeah. Because um, yeah. again, most people know that nothing was going to be There's the no same guarantees. result. Yeah, there there aren't guarantees, unfortunately, and um, yeah, most people do understand that. And the people who don't understand that there probably wasn't anything you were going to do to make them understand. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's just yeah, trying not to allow that um, that uncertainty, which is always there, to paralyze you and prevent you from doing any good. Yeah, and you then know, know what you're not good at. Is another Fair. so like if we're you're bad ask at help math, and stuff. Yeah. When then, do I uh, need somebody else to help yeah. me with this? Have someone double check you at that anytime yeah. you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't don't like drug dosages. That doesn't have to be a thing you you just game time to no, you can look that up. But yeah. like clinical decisions like, should I do this drug or that drug? No, that you just have to reason through that and come up with what you want. You can, you know, grab other resources to help you gain information that might help you make a decision. Um, that those aren't the kinds of things I mean. Like if there's a quick and easy way to get enough information to make the right decision, do that. <laughs> Um, but is but most of the time you can't you can't just look up like should I do this or this in this case like that again like you said if we could do that we wouldn't have doctors we just have AI do all the things but you you have to just choose based on what you know and what you can know in that time but that doesn't mean like never look up never ask for help never you know research things or, or never verify things um, that'll get you into trouble as well um, but it's um, it's recognizing when you have the time to verify things um, and when you should have the confidence to just go forward with what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, and if something like, but that's what hard. are the consequences if I don't verify this? Yeah, yeah. How, how, does, how does this plan fail? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if it's a drug that's... Um, like, really, really safe. Got yeah. a very, you know, wide safety margin versus... But like yeah. you need to get it in like as fast as possible, then do it. maybe don't double check your math. Yeah, it's fine. Just just try it. And then you can check it afterwards and be like, wow, that didn't work. Oh, it's because I totally underdosed it. Let's go back and give more. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. So yeah, we'll have to circle back to this and maybe get some others' perspectives. Get an indecisive um, person on. Yeah. Um, uh, the trick will be convincing them to come on the show. Because <laughs> they won't I don't be able know to decide if I want to do that or, or not. not. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's something I feel comfortable with. Uh, we'll trick them. We'll trick them yeah. into coming on the show. All right. Well, hopefully this wasn't too rambling and maybe resonated with some of you out there. And, I think uh, people like rambling. Oh, good. Because that's all we do. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye.